You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards from Columbus, Ohio. And I'm Matt Duncan out of Gelsenkirchen, Germany. We thrive on the support of our listeners. So find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. For episode 65, which is, uh, is that 15 times 5? Yeah. No, no, no. That's 75. No, Never mind. No, way off the... I need to get to my arithmetic tables. Uh... Nevertheless, uh, you're still dealing with audio interface issues, so give us a little am, yeah. update on your woes. Well, here's the update. Nothing's changed. Uh, still waiting. Uh, so my interface has been in repair now for a month. Um, although I'm starting to doubt that repair is being done on it, uh, it's probably still in the box that they received it in. Um, I Yesterday, I again complained to my... Um, dealer of choice where I always go to where I buy all my stuff and they are very great people I like I love their service which is the reason why I always come back to them and basically they just shipped it off to Focusrite so I know it's not their fault for for me having to wait so long so I asked again like hey guys uh where is it I I I have uh an offer for for so doing some voiceovers next week like I want to earn some money with the equipment I bought. <laughs> and, um, yeah, they, they said like today, focus right answered. Yeah. We're looking at getting it back on the 7th of October. And for people who listen to this on a later date, it's the 30th of September. So at least one more week, which sucks, which sucks terribly. <laughs> and at this point, I'm thinking if, if things are being done on this thing, isn't the repair already more expensive than just sending me a new one? Yeah. Seriously. I always just want a new one. Like, go sell or refurbish to someone else when you fix it, but give me a new one. Definitely. Especially, as I said last time, the, the warranty is only there until December. At, I believe the end of December. And I don't want them to patch it up just enough so it works till January and I have to buy a new one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so since I can only really deal with my online dealer, who I don't want to complain too much to because I know it's not their fault, I just, I'm going to do some daily Twitter shaming on Focus, right? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes. So, uh, another bit of follow up is you were talking about that Ticketmaster shenanigans where you had to buy a membership. Uh, even if you only wanted one ticket, you had to have a membership to even get the one ticket and then a monthly w- membership. A monthly. So membership. if I, if I was interested in another gig in, let's say November, I would still have to buy that membership again. So it really is just a, a fee they've renamed to a membership. Yeah. Um, well, I happened upon this article from The Ringer, which is Bill Simmons' little website network. He used to run a site called Grantland. And uh, this article is called Why You Can't Get a Ticket to the NBA Finals, but it actually applies to any kind of event ticketing system anywhere. And uh, uh, it goes into a lot of details of why, as a consumer, everything is stacked against you easily and efficiently getting a ticket you want at an event. And it comes down to some sort of, it basically comes down to money, as it always does. But, uh, it, in particular, it's uh, a lot of events and venues, and it's all complicit. The artists are often okay with this or do nothing to stop it. But it's also the venues, it's these, these intermediary companies. Um, but basically they withhold the best seats. So if they're box seats for a sporting event or if they're, uh, you know, home plate or, 
midfield or at a concert, the front rows or, you know, whatever would be the most ideal tickets. Uh, they basically hold those back and sell them ahead of time at a high price to rich people. Um, and the, the stuff like when tickets go on sale, they've actually been on sale for a long time to only special people. And then the, the set that goes on sale to everyone else is a very tiny fraction of the actual seats available. And uh, those get bought up immediately by bots, which immediately sends those tickets to the reselling uh, black market. And so you have all these things going on at once. And uh, one of the reasons it happens is because um, people will never stop complaining about ticket prices. And so the street sticker price has to be low and to get around the fact that they don't want to sell tickets for that cheap, that's why they do all these other shenanigans. And so the this article is actually from and the ex-CEO of Ticketmaster, I think it was. Um, let me double check that real quick. Yep. Yeah. Former CEO, Nathan Hubbard of Ticketmaster. So he, he's he's not just speculating. He knows how this business works. Yeah. And uh, he also talked about what it would take to change. And it really comes down to the artists that have the sway deciding, no, let's change this. But they're kind of benefiting a little bit from the situation. Um, and so they'd have to like their fans enough to want to change this. Um, one of the things that would probably require to be changed is ticket prices would need to go up. Um, we need to be okay with that. But uh, I mean, I would pay a little bit more for the concerts I go to if I was guaranteed a painless experience choosing my seats and going to the show. Um, cause I hate the hassle involved almost more than the, the price. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it's basically the argument I had with the membership fee. Like, uh, the ticket I was talking about was comparatively cheap, like 18 euros and the membership fee was, uh, three euro 50. Just, just give me the regular 21 or 22 euro price. And I wouldn't even have complained about it, but just the <laughs> fact that there was this extra step in there. Also something I, I read a few months ago, uh, also about like all these Ticketmaster shenanigans is that, um, yeah, generally it's all Ticketmaster is just there to take the blame. Everybody who's, uh, who has to deal with the, um, yeah, with their service knows that they're basically just a scapegoat. And as you said, a lot of like the, the organizers or maybe even the artists themselves, they sometimes, not all of them, um, like, yeah, they get something out of using Ticketmaster because, hey, we can jack up prices. Everybody's going to complain about Ticketmaster. We're not, they're not going to complain about us. So are you saying Ticketmaster's the tank in this MMO party? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So they can invent whatever scheme they want and uh, let it like sign off by the uh, by the artists or the wh whoever organizes all those tours and, and gigs. And yeah, we all already knew uh, used to complaining about Ticketmaster, so it works. <laughs> um, the conclusion is we're screwed. So I don't really. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing. It's really At all least, there is. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, what I'm just always surprised about is I read about this, especially in the US, but then it comes to Europe and I'm like, no, please not here. <laughs> we, we've got so great consumer laws. Um, please don't, don't even try it here. It won't even last for long, probably, but then they figure out a new scheme until that's outlawed. Uh, usually, uh, here in Europe, they're a little quicker to react to those kind of things. Yeah. And in other small personal news, uh, I recently, bought a shotgun mic for uh yeah for video recording mostly um 
I I had a shotgun mic before when I was like 19 for basically the same reasons, although we never really did anything with it. Um, so I resold it like two months after, which was a, the original Rode video mic. And now I got the Rode video mic pro. And what I just found interesting because, because I had to make that choice is, uh, there, there was, uh, the Rode video mic pro and the Rode video mic go. And right off the bat, like that's the situation where if you send, I don't know, your grandparents to buy you a Wii U and they come home with a Wii, like, um, <laughs> You had to, so the video mic go is like eighty bucks, and the video mic pro is hundred bucks more than that, hundred eighty. And drive the better, okay, there has to be some kind of difference. And I watched a lot of reviews and sound comparisons and everything, and they all sounded really similar. But the only really significant difference between them seemed to be that the Rode Video Mic Pro had a preamp built in. So you you put a nine volt battery in there, and it gives you uh yeah a lot more gain out of that a lot more volume and so the reason why you would want that and why i actually showed chose uh that microphone is lots of let's say most of dslr cameras have really shitty microphone preamps like really yeah. noisy the kind of thing i have to record through right now but thankfully i've got some uh software <laughs> to kill the noise uh as good as it as possible but uh what you want to do is you want to feed your camera really really hot signal and turn the preamp preamp down all the way and since we have such a camera that really has a shitty preamp it was like okay i can spend 80 bucks and always get shitty sound or i spent 180 bucks and get usable sound so yeah i had to buy it for 100 bucks more although it's <laughs> technically the same microphone some people might disagree there are probably some objective differences in it but let's be honest in that price range uh it, it's not a 500 dollar plus shotgun microphone right. that like perfectly records you from across the room like this thing still uh it records a lot of stuff from the side but it's miles better than the built-in and it's just without that you don't even you shouldn't even think about recording action live action video with sound and try, <laughs> put it on youtube that and if you want to sound professional don't even try it you have to get one and sleep seems like yeah entry level seems to be the 180 unless you you start recording on external gear and uh, right no, no no well i mean like i we ran into this with my work at university of colorado because we got a we got an ntg one which is slightly it's in the pro range it's a little more expensive but um, it was a constant like frustration of the shotgun mic was higher quality, but there was just more room noise, even though it's, it's a shotgun. And then we had a lapel, which that's what I'm comparing it to when I say less or more room noise, but it just didn't sound as good, the lapel. And so it was like, ah, it's cleaner and I can understand it better, but it doesn't sound as good. <laughs> and, uh, that was always frustrating, but, um, we had that hooked up to straight into, my field recorder. So, um, we didn't have to deal with the cameras, horrible hardware for sound. Um, the, the mic was going straight into a more high quality thing, but, um, now it's interesting. I'll have to see how your videos fare now that you've got this, this better shotgun mic situation. We'll see. It's, it's mostly, I, I bought it because we want to do more stuff. That's not just, uh, yeah. Uh, direct the camera at a painting that's being painted like more, actual in front of the camera stuff maybe and 
like without having that microphone, we probably wouldn't even start because I would always say, no, we can't do that. It's going to sound like shit. We're not even <laughs> like, we will record this and later in during editing, we'll see like, now we can't use it. So it's more can't like a prerequisite. So now we got it. Now we can start. I'm Maybe. sure your YouTube quality, comment quality will go up <laughs> the more you're on camera. I'm sure it won't be horrible stuff. <laughs> yeah. Still, I really, I really want that, and I, I'm I'm really uh, picky when it comes to that. Um, it's just, yeah, it has to be good. I I, I only want to <laughs> upload stuff that I'm satisfied with. Only the best. I only uh, the best. <laughs> Uh, into the show. So we have a bunch of articles to go through this episode. And the first one here is, uh, this lawsuit from, uh, what are they called? Great Minds or something? Yep. Um, they're suing, is it FedEx? FedEx, yeah. FedEx yeah. Express. So basically they, they provide educational materials. They create these, these videos and this content and, uh, they provide it under a Creative Commons non-commercial license. So supposedly you can use their materials for non-commercial reasons is the way that license works. And what they're suing FedEx for is people that want to use their stuff non-commercially, go to FedEx to, for example, make a printout of some graphic. And they say FedEx is using the this content commercially because they're providing their copy service um, in FedEx office. So this is more like Kinko's and less like the delivery. Um, and so they want to say that counts as commercial use and therefore FedEx should pay royalties to great minds or just not be allowed to do that. And like on it's like very surface level. You're like, huh? Yeah, FedEx makes money off this. This is like, um, but if you take this idea to its logical conclusion, is there any way to non-commercially use their content? <laughs> Not really. Is there? What if I? What if I? Yeah. If if I use that, can I only teach for free? Can I still still charge money if I use like yeah. honest question? Can I be paid a salary for teaching and use their material? Yeah, the material is there to teach people something. Um, there aren't many occasions where people teach something for free. They, they exist, of course, but like most teaching happens in an environment where the teacher gets paid in some way. Uh, is he using it commercially? Is that person using it commercially then? It's I think of like a, analogy to like a nonprofit organization if someone working with a nonprofit makes money does that nonprofit now liable for saying hey you're not a nonprofit if someone profits yeah, yeah and also yeah that's the thing nonprofits nonprofit doesn't mean they never touch money it just means that they're not making a profit they're not in it to make a profit all the, all the, the money that's involved is um getting back into the operation What's the current verdict on this thing? It has it, it, it's not in front of the judge yet, is it? No hearing date has been set. Last sentence. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we're still waiting on that one. Hopefully they'll come to their senses. Otherwise, everybody's wasting money in this, uh, <laughs> especially the nonprofit's money. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's talk about AI pop music. There's this cool project at a, a Sony CSL research laboratory uh, where they've been creating pop music composed by artificial intelligence. Uh, and they call it Flow Machines is this sort of, I guess it's sort of a product they're creating. 
Um, and basically this machine has, you know, sort of like how IBM's Deep Blue did chess. They have a huge, uh, archive of songs with metadata about, you know, the chord structure, the speed, the tempo, the melodies, whatever. Um, all, all this kind of musical data. And the AI is able to take that and use that information to generate new songs. And so they, uh, on this blog post, uh, which came out a week ago, um, we can see a Beatles style pop song called Daddy's Car that the AI composed. And, uh, there's also some like jazz and some other genres sort of represented, uh, on this post. And they actually sound pretty good. Um, now to be completely clear about what's going on here, the AI composed the music, but, uh, a actual songwriter then took that composition and arranged it, chose instruments, produced a recording, wrote lyrics. So there's still a lot of human effort on top of this. And uh, I was a little frustrated that, you know, the, the title of the article is AI makes pop music. And I'm like, asterisk with a human finishing half of the work. Yeah, but, but websites want clicks. Yeah. Um, but if you take the sensationalism out of the overstated headline, it's a really cool project. And, uh, you know, I could see a lot of uses for this. Uh, I, I mean, the one that came to my head as a filmmaker that needs to cover, you know, two hours of a film could in the early stages start generating different variations of different moods, um, uh, based on references like, Oh, I really like, uh, how this composer did that in the seventies. Let's like take some themes from that and create some new stuff. Um, you know, the bicycle for the mind kind of like the AI is going to do a lot of the groundwork, but you still need the, the artist there to make choices. Yeah. And I believe that that is actually a, a very good direction to go in until we've kind of, uh, yeah, developed more in, in, in the sense that a computer could also make those choices that a human would still have to do right now. Uh, I also agree that the, the two examples they showed on, on this article, they sound really good. And I also, uh, watched another video that's also linked in the show notes where you can see the actual process happening. So it starts out with, um, the user like choosing from a list or uh, they can make their own list of, um, com uh, compositions or songs from this huge database. So basically they decide on a style beforehand or at least they, they decide on what feeds or what fuels the composition uh so in the one example yeah they chose beatles uh songs or in the other one it's just american songwriters who in their database like seem to be a lot of jazz and um yeah then you can say all right give me two bars of of melody uh, I don't like that. Give me two new bars. And then you start like generating stuff. And once you like something, you leave it. And then, as you said, like the, the generation, the composition happens by the AI, but then you start arranging it. You say, this is played on a flute. This is played on a guitar. And you can start really arranging the whole song together, although you didn't write a single note yourself. And that is really fascinating, especially, um, they've integrated it. Uh, so, so there's the composition part, but they've integrated it with a sound engine that produces, I would say, very uh, almost realistic sounding uh, arrangements or, or back backings, backing tracks. Um, they take samples, like recorded samples of instruments, and they basically chop them up. And so when when the composition or when the sheet says, "All right, I want an A major now on the guitar," you before that decided on a sound font and you get a guitar that's actually been played at some point and recorded exactly in that A major in the style you want it to be played. So it's basically like playing the samples, the correct samples for the correct chords. 
and it sounded really good. And in the uh, in the first example of the of the Beatles track, I didn't really even notice it. On the second one, it sounds a little bit more experimental. But then again, they also chopped the vocals up a lot, and uh, just. Both of these technologies, in, like by themselves, I already found really fascinating. But then using the combination of both of them to like make a complete song with, I wouldn't say little to no interaction by human being, but at least like you only have to curate things. You can put somebody in front of this who has no idea about music and all, all the decisions that person would have to make is, does this sound good? Yes or no. And if no, give me something new. And yeah. uh, you could make something that's listenable uh, as com uh, in comparison to what we heard one or two episodes ago uh, by the uh, um, was a crowd the crowdsourced melody where yeah. <laughs> basically all of that was human, but it sounded like shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I tried to sign up for their website, but yeah, unfortunately for their their uh, login or register form just doesn't really work. Like I registered and didn't give me any feedback if it worked or not uh because i found that a lot of people a lot of websites reject uh, passwords with uh special characters but that's the topic for flipping tables yeah, and so i tried yeah. to log in didn't work i tried to register again it told me the email is taken so i don't know i couldn't log in i couldn't try it myself maybe I'll, i'm gonna try again tomorrow with an easier password hoping it's not gonna get cracked by anyone <laughs> And actually try this thing because I really want to try this thing. Like, um, I am in a position where I wish I could put a new song under every one of Lars's videos. Every time he puts out a new video, I wish I could put a new song under there. And if this thing can help, can help me churn out more music. And it, I don't have to be like, Oh, I'm so proud of this. This is such a great composition. Like it only has to be there to, to kind of like, uh, yeah, support the video. It doesn't have to be a, a great song by itself that I take full credit for. I don't care about that. So if I could use it to produce those songs, man, I would be totally happy. So related to AI-driven tools for music is uh, Spotify has a new feature called Daily Mix. And, uh, you know, they have the Discover playlist, which is, you know, 30 songs once a week that's supposedly focused on new music, stuff you hopefully haven't heard. And then they also have their release radar. Is that what they call it? Um, which is every Friday, it gathers stuff that's new based on artists it thinks you care about. And it's like, hey, they got new songs out. Check them out. And uh, the new thing is the daily mix, which is every single day, it'll generate somewhere between one, two, up to six different mixes of songs. It doesn't care if it's an artist you already love. In fact, it seems to target that stuff. Um, just mixes you're going to like. Um, stuff you've already favorited or listened to all the time and then sprinkled in um, other songs from those artists or related artists. And uh, we've had similar experiences. Um, I've been trying it out for a couple days and I found it, I feel it's a little too heavy on the stuff I already love and already made playlists of. Um, but I guess there might be other people that don't spend a lot of time making their own playlists and this would just help them get back to those songs they love. Um, I'm going to keep trying to use it because, uh, I, I'm in favor of anything that gets me to hear new songs I like. Um, but so far it was just a little heavy on, yeah, I know that song. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get what you mean. But then again, I felt like sometimes the discovery playlist had too much in there that was too far away from what i would like um of course i don't want it to be too narrow otherwise i would never branch out but um as much as i like the discover weekly playlist um 
I only really, really like at most like a third of what's in there. The rest is like, okay, I can listen to it once, but that's it. But I, I get a feeling like there, there is probably like a psychological effect behind that, where if you listen to a lot of stuff you really like, it, it puts you in this mood on this plateau of, oh yeah, good music. I'm listening to good music. And then you give me a new song. I already associate, associate that with, oh, that's a good track because I'm already in the mood. And I, believe that might be what they're going for here like they are they are uh, deliberately giving you a lot of stuff they know you really like and and then again most of what was in there wasn't really necessarily songs i really had or i mean i listened to them but not really a lot there was something by cut copy in there which i only like listened to twice um here's a song by bad for lashes that i definitely only listened to once but it's in there and it's like yeah you listen to this once you didn't skip it so you probably still like it if we play you now and then yeah they give you some new stuff i like that i like that it's more frequent because the discover playlist i only need one afternoon of work to get through it and then it's over and i want new stuff but this, yeah. <laughs> uh, especially if you scroll down, so they, I got five daily mixes here right now. And if you scroll down, it says, uh, more songs load as you listen. So apparently they generate more if, if you're really into that one specific playlist. What I would just like to know is, so I got five daily mixes, like where's the difference? Um, because just looking at what's in there, Although, yeah, I, I can already see there there's some similarities um, in, in the genres. Like some of that stuff is more electro, like Hotline Miami stuff. And then there's some, obviously, uh, this is this is music from Iceland playlist. Uh, and yeah, this is this is uh, hipster radio from GTA playlist. Okay, <laughs> I, I, now I see the genres. All right. So yeah, you can pick and choose what you're in the mood for. <laughs> so I'm going to be using that definitely. What I... Again, don't like, but that's a typical Spotify thing. So this is only available right now for the apps on your phone. I was just going to say, I was looking in the yeah. client, desktop um, client and I was like, where is it? Just, uh, the same thing happened when they started doing podcasts. They weren't available on the desktop app. But there's always a workaround where you start it on your phone and then you tell it to play it on the other device, which is your uh. computer that's already running Spotify. And then you can listen to it. And it actually catches the whole playlist. So it's not like you have to do it for every single song. Once again, uh, it seems like they really have two completely separate teams that they are, and they are not allowed to talk to each other uh, <laughs> that develop the desktop app and the... Uh, the app for uh, for your phone. It's really weird. <laughs> and we have a couple of hardware stories. Uh, do you want to tell us about these? Yeah. Um, I found this video of somebody who... Uh, so he's basically taking requests to build small... or Not necessarily small, but to build some kind of projects out of... Yeah, technology which is a very broad statement um so it's in this video he took an arduino board and um four keyboards for computer regular computer keyboards and basically built himself a midi guitar keyboard thing where he, he glued together three keyboards in a guitar shape and he had a fourth keyboard for his for his foot and um he routed them through the Arduino to basically take MIDI data out of the keyboards. So he could use the keyboards as a MIDI instrument. And as we know, once you get something that sends MIDI, you can almost control any music software or even hardware with it. And I like the idea because uh, it really spoke to me. 
because I'm I really like to co-op <laughs> things to to make them useful in other situations that they don't necessarily or necessarily weren't built for just to save money. I hate buying things just for one single purpose. I think we talked about this on, on, on other occasions. And using a keyboard in general is already a good idea. Like I know Tim Exile uses a keyboard a lot for like beat mangling and, and some other stuff. Because, I mean, look at it. Look down on your keyboard. How many keys do you have? There's <laughs> a lot of stuff you can control with that. Uh, especially if you just want to switch things on and off. Um and if you have got one of those crazy LED keyboards, you can probably even get some visual feedback on what is turned on and off. And um, yeah, this this project really spoke to me in that sense. Uh, just it it looked it looked comparatively simple in the sense that an Arduino seems like yeah, you just stick things in there and then you write the software that tells <laughs> oh if you get a signal on that wire it means this and once it's in software i i can deal with that kind of stuff if it's soldering a capacitor on something I, that's where it stops for me <laughs> um so this seemed like a neat little project um maybe at one point you can buy this off the shelf somewhere on some guy's etsy is, is there an etsy for technology stuff um or somebody will do it as a Kickstarter and earn way too much money with it and never deliver. <laughs> uh, no, this this definitely looked, I mean, way more cool hobbyist show off rather than practical. Um, but, you know, I always wondered with keyboards, I don't know if this was is a USB thing or a, an old PS2 port thing, but a lot of keyboards are limited to like five keys, like polyphony. And uh, I didn't know if his approach would like bypass that or avoided that problem somehow. It actually depends on the keyboard. So I believe it doesn't have to do with the... I, I believe the PS2 port is actually better than the USB port. Um, my keyboard has an adapter, so I can use it with USB or PS2. And I believe they said something that with PS2, you get this N-key rollover, as it's called, where basically the keys don't shadow each other. Um, but you have to have a... You have to have the keyboard built for that in the first place, but then the PS2 should work. So if you get good keyboards, yeah, you, that that shouldn't be too much of a problem, actually. But then again, um, you just just don't play any cards. Right. Well, I've definitely in a pinch, like if I'm on my laptop and I don't have any gear with me, I've used the musical typing and logic to write little melodies with my physical, you know, QWERTY keyboard. And it's really not that bad like once you get used to it um definitely some of the the black keys as it were like you get confused like if is it t or y that is the right you know next half step up from whatever is on the home row but uh i don't think i would ever use something like this but it's it's cool and the video is really entertaining the guy just is it it's dangerously close to cringy because he's constantly doing like little like jokes and like, oh, I'm crazy. Um, but he pulls it off. He's really funny. It's entertaining. He seems really genuine. Um, but there's definitely a haha, I raise my spork kind of ness that it got yeah. dangerously close to. But I think it also has to do with the fact that he built a guitar out of it. Um, yeah. I just think that having a keyboard do MIDI is useful. Ableton has a lot of functionality where you can actually just map things to the keyboard, but it stops when you enter a, a virtual instrument. And um, yeah, sometimes I I would just maybe I I mean I have a second keyboard still that's wireless, so I I will probably integrate that at some point in my in my setup. So just I can just so I can switch up 
more stuff so I don't have to buy another $100 MIDI controller just to flip a switch. Yeah, and then we've got these $2,000 headphones that are absolute rubbish. Uh, we've, uh, for this last, for the last 64 episodes, we've already talked a lot about expensive or affordable gear and especially with headphones since we both use a lot of headphones. Uh, I almost exclusively use headphones and we know there's a lot of stuff that's just being told, uh, sold for a steep price because it's luxury and because of the experience. But all right, you buy headphones that look really nice. They come in a, in a wooden box. The cable is all golden. I don't care. At least make them sound good. But these apparently <laughs> they sound really bad. They sound really <laughs> bad. Um, so the review we've linked in the show notes at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 65. Um, it starts out great. He's, he uh, describes the headphones, like the way they look, and then it's the sound. And this is where it all goes downhill. Uh, but especially, uh, I especially like the second page of the article where then objectively he can shit all over <laughs> these headphones because you see the frequency response. You go from left to right. It's like, yeah, bass, bass coming in. Or okay, there's a little dip in the mid, and then it just goes crazy right at the uh, in the frequencies where things are the harshest if they are too loud, uh, where uh, human speech is mostly like uh, it's. <laughs> It, it just looks shifts awful. The bed right there. Yeah, it it just it looks it already looks awful. I can imagine how awful it sounds. And if you go further down, uh, it it shows the uh, the um, the response the wave response of a square wave. So, uh, funnily enough, we recently had a discussion in in internally to Sunrise Robot where Lions asked me about something of reproducing a square wave uh, on audio on analog gear. So, a square wave is basically it switches between zero and one or and a different value, but it, really just switches between the two, which is the reason why it looks like a square wave. It's square. Right. It's a bunch of squares. Instantaneous shift. Um, but the problem is with, uh, once you go into the analog domain, you can't have instantaneous shift from zero, uh, from minus one to one. And especially once you hit the one, it, it always like wobbles around just a little bit. Just, you can't have the perfect just response. Just a little bit. Yeah. But the problem is you look at this and it's like for half the cycle where it's, it's at the top, it still wobbles around. And it, it almost like reaches the halfway point again where <laughs> it's like an the, opera singer, like the pitch way. Yeah. Made. It's that, that's that it doesn't really even look anymore like a square wave. <laughs> so it probably doesn't sound like a square wave. And then you scroll even farther down. Then there's, there's the video review and he's just <laughs> defeated. He puts them on, puts the song on and you can hear the, the, the bleed into the microphone. Um, now there's a lot of open back headphones where that's the way they operate. You hear yeah. them, that, which is the reason why you shouldn't wear them in public. But you really hear how the, how they come through, and his face is going through all the phases <laughs> of pain. It's just so amusing. And these headphones are two thousand seven hundred dollars. Now this was two thousand eleven. Yeah. Maybe I don't know if they're still on sale. If they still cost that much, but he's really not content with these headphones. Yeah, when you're going to charge that much, you can't. You can't get away with crap quality because you can buy $150 headphones that are pretty good. And so yeah. if you're going to pay over 10 times that, then it better be amazing. <laughs> Picks of the week. Picks of the week. You want to go first? All right. Uh, my pick of the week is by the artist Trust or TR slash ST. <laughs> uh, and the song is called Dressed for Space. 
I gotta say the whole album is phenomenal. I, um, I, I listened to this guy like at the beginning of the year and then I rediscovered him just before Gamescom when I was off and couldn't do the show. And I was like, man, I, I want to do the pick of the week, but which song do I pick? And I listened through the album again and again, but I finally settled on this one. But I, if you like the song, you gotta listen to the whole album. Uh, it's dark electro and, um, especially in this song, it just builds up more and more like the, uh, the the it's it has like three parts to it where the instrumental and the backing changes very very little but the vocal melody like he goes through three phases and i really like each and every one and it gets better and better and yeah here's a short snippet of dressed for space by trust So what do you think of the song? Uh, even I can't help but tap a toe to this one, Ted. <laughs> um, no, this song was very enjoyable. Uh, you know, a couple sound things I, I wanted to draw out where uh, I, you know, as is happens a lot in this kind of music, but it was really tastefully done was, uh, they have this staccato arpeggio in the middle and, um, it's sweeping its frequency and it's panning left and right. And that's just, you know, a nice effect used very well. Um, but there's also this, uh, this pad that's kind of dull and might even be detuned a little bit. Um, and it kind of provides the eeriness of the song. It's like 90% of the eeriness comes from this pad. And that's my favorite sound in the whole song. Uh, I latched onto that thing immediately. It was like, yep. One more thing I got to add, Dorian mode again. Should have picked the song last week had I known that <laughs> yours was in Dorian mode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was your pick of the week? My pick of the week is a song by Denver artist Elin Palmer. I actually just saw her at a the Museum of Contemporary Art a rooftop show with Chimney Choir I went to just before I moved. And, uh, she plays this, what you might call Swedish folk music. Um, she plays this strange Swedish instrument called a nickel harpa. It sounds like a violin, but it's really, um, it's, it's a stringed instrument. Um, and it has these keys that, that trigger down these, um, these little pieces that act as frets. And, uh, and then you can pluck or you can bow it. And, um, she plays it very beautifully, but this song, is uh, just gorgeous and let's just hear a little bit of it So I actually had the chance to uh, ask her about this song this week, and uh, it's sung in Swedish, as if if you didn't already hear from the sample. And 
I asked her if she had an English translation. She said she didn't, but she told me the song was about filling big shoes with small feet, which the the title of the song, uh, Stora Stovlar, uh, means big boots. And then uh, she also said it was about sleeping to the voices of the whole world singing. So it sounds like a, a very sentimental or romantic kind of thing. Um, and I just, there's so much that I love about the song. It's just, it's just gorgeous. Um, in the chorus, I really like how the harmonized backup vocals are echoing uh, a full a step behind the, the melody. And uh, I didn't put in the sample because I didn't want to spoil it, but the whole end of the song could probably loop forever and I wouldn't be mad. <laughs> <laughs> you could sleep to that, to those voices. <laughs> yeah. So what did you make of this? I really love that song. I... I every time I hear songs or music from yeah from like Sweden, Finland, Iceland, I'm I'm instantly remembered why I like them, and I ask myself why do I not listen to more of that stuff? It's so <laughs> sweet, and just beautiful. It's really in its cob just beautiful music. The Nickel Harper is something I'm gonna dive into. I'm not going to buy one, but I'm I'm going <laughs> to seek out more music with that instrument. It I, I watched a few videos on on YouTube of uh, somebody playing it, and it really just sounds like a whole string quartet playing. And once you get into like pizzicato, I really liked plucked strings in general, but this is just this just took the cake for me, and it's really beautifully performed in this song. So uh, I need more of that. Um, and yeah, and just the the sound of the language. I, I described before when we talked about how I usually have problems writing lyrics, but one thing I always look for in lyrics is the way they sound. Like for me, the way the vocals sound when 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 they sing the lyrics is almost more important than the meaning of the lyrics. And obviously, I don't understand Swedish, but it just sounds so beautiful. Like every syllable carries the song further, and. Um, it's just lovely. I, I didn't. I probably wouldn't even want to listen to that song in English. It's just the way it is. It's perfect. I mean, one of the reasons why I always, why I also like watching uh, uh, movies in their original language. Like you can never dub it as well as the original is. Like the way it was intended to sound. Because once you translate it, you don't have the same sound. It's just it a new thing. Really yeah. Yeah. That's great. And also well, agree about the ending totally. Like I want, <laughs> I want that ending to be more. I want to live. I hope. Uh, did she play? Do you remember she played that song live? And if they just looped it more and more because she I did, would but do they that. didn't. They didn't loop it more and more. Um, ah. She actually. They had an EP. This recording from the sample I shared was from 2012. But she actually did a new version of this song on an EP last year, and it's ah. about five minutes long. And it's a. Oh. It's a little different. She sings in a higher key, and I like it a lot too. I think I. Pre- prefer this version which is why i chose it but the other version is also good um it kind of fleshes it out a lot more there's a little more showmanship with the nickel harpa um so i'll throw that in the show notes as well all right and with that we have episode 65 of bits and pieces thank you so much for listening uh, as always we have our show notes at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 65 and one of the links in the show notes is our spotify playlist which we use to capture all of these songs uh, so that you can check out everything we picked if you like what we picked this week uh, there's sure to be other things in our selections that you'll enjoy 
while you're on our website at Sunrise Robot, uh, you can subscribe to our show. We have RSS and iTunes links, or if you have a favorite podcast app like Pocket Cast or Podcast Addict or Overcast, these are all good apps. Uh, you can search for our show and subscribe straight in the app in most cases. Uh, if you have any questions about that, you can hit us up on Twitter. So I'm at pseudo Michael, S-U-D-O Michael, and Matt, you are? At Echolox, E-C-H-O-L-O-X. Uh, use that if you have questions about subscribing or if you have suggestions for topics or songs. I love hearing good new songs, so please send me them. Uh, if you'd like to support the show more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash sunrise robot and pledge dollars to the network. And, uh, we give shout outs depending on the level you support us. So with that, special thanks to Benji Robinson, Carolyn Kraut, and Joan Edwards. We love you all so much and we'll see you next episode. Bye.